Welcome to Saturday Thoughts. This is our weekend catch-up for the week that has just passed here on the Aplorbus Podcast. I'm your host, Sophia Nelson, and today I have a special guest that I'm very excited about having on the show. Um, She is a rising star in Maryland politics. She's someone I've come to know very well. It is still Women's History Month, and I know that with the coronavirus scare, we've all been focused so much on staying in, sheltering in place, and doing our part to help our fellow citizens that we've forgotten that it's Women's History Month. And with just a few days left, the show is going to get back on task to bringing on the voices of women uh, who are on the front lines, whether as leaders in industry, in healthcare. And um, I'm looking forward to this dialogue with our guest today, Councilwoman Roxy Ndebumadu. Roxy is a city councilwoman in Bowie, Maryland, uh, District 4. She's newly elected. She just got elected in the last election of uh, 2019. And uh, she's a young woman. She's not even 30 years old yet. And she's a superstar. Her day job is with Microsoft. Uh, She serves the citizens of District 4, which is about 15,000 or so citizens. And uh, Bowie is the largest municipality in Prince George's County, Maryland. So, Roxy, welcome to Eplorbus Cast. Thank you, Sophia. I'm so excited. Thank you for having me on and happy Saturday. Well, thank you for joining me on a Saturday. Now that we're all sheltered in, it's uh, sometimes tempting, right, to just stay in your PJs all day, watch Netflix order pizza and be a bum, but I'm, I'm trying to make myself not do that. <laughs> I can't say that I haven't tried it, so kudos <laughs> to you. I think we all have. Uh, listen, welcome and thank you, and I'd like to start off the show just to have you give us your thoughts on this moment uh, that we find ourselves in, Councilwoman. This is a moment the earth, the world has never seen, not even with the great uh, influenza pandemic of uh 1918 have we seen anything like this where the entire world india 1.3 billion people sheltered in the uk shut down france italy italy under siege spain uh, the middle east africa canada the united states still open in many parts but probably not for long give us your thoughts on this moment You know, Sophia, I would say this is a really scary time. And I think in the very beginning when things started to unravel, people weren't taking this as seriously as as it could have been taken, especially here in the United States. I think what you're seeing now is a dramatic shift in our constituents where people are starting to recognize how serious this is. I mean, look, this week you had someone in the mayor's office in Washington, D.C., one of her one of her legal staff pass away. So people are starting to really understand, hey, this is very serious and we need to take this a bit more seriously than we we might have thought we should have in the very beginning. I think you're starting to see people be more intentional, stay home. I think this is bringing about a new era of care within people and love. People are starting to check on other people, foster relationships that might have been broken. So I think you're starting to see this shift in behavior from the government, as well as people, just everyday citizens that are becoming more thoughtful and more mindful of how serious this might actually be. Uh, Councilwoman, give us a sense of what you are doing there in Maryland, in the state of Maryland. I know Governor Hogan has been out and very active early 
um, give me a sense of what life is like there in Maryland. I live in the Commonwealth of Virginia, so we're neighbors. Our governor has us on a 30-day, all the businesses are shut down, of course. Uh, you can pick up uh, curbside. You can order takeout for the restaurants, which have taken an enormous hit, hospitality as well. Um, we're not on a mandatory shelter in. The schools are closed. But I suspect we're probably headed in that direction at some point. What, what what are you guys doing in Maryland to deal with this coronavirus? We are actually taking the exact same steps. I think Governor Hogan has done a phenomenal, phenomenal job just kind of leading the charge and just really making sure that Maryland does everything within our power to really tackle this head on and make sure that our community stays safe. So you have the schools that are closed. He just announced this week that at least for now, the schools will be closed until April 24th. Uh, we have all non-essential businesses shut down. So the restaurant industry is taking a traumatic hit, but you do have Governor Hogan who's working to kind of put together this package for our businesses in this area to make sure that they are able to survive. Particularly within the city of Bowie, we are making donations um, to help different, different causes in our area, like the food pantries. We are making sure our senior citizens are taken care of. I actually serve as the education committee liaison to the council. So working very closely with Prince George's County Education Department to determine what further steps do we need to take. You have thousands and thousands of kids who are at home right now that don't have access to technology that will not be able to participate in these online lessons plans that the school system is having to make this dramatic shift to. So for us, it's all, and for me in particular, it's all about how do we make sure that these students are still learning and they're not becoming dormant during this time because we actually don't know how long this is gonna last. But we are trying everything that we can in the city of Bowie to make sure that one, our residents feel safe, they're taken care of. People who don't have access to the essentials that they need are going to get access. We're taking care of our citizens and we're keeping our children's first. You know, you talked a little bit about uh, which something that has really stuck with me during this whole process is how people are treating other people and how they're reacting. Uh, when I go out in my neighborhood for a walk every day, it's amazing to see the number of people that are out because it's the only way you can get out, right. but they're all social distancing. We're probably about 12 to 15 um, feet apart. If one person's on the sidewalk, everybody else jumps off and goes the other direction. Uh, and we're kind of all waving at each other. There was a little girl who turned 10 yesterday in the neighborhood and her parents had the number 10 on the lawn and all of her little friends came from all over, but they all stood about 20 feet away on curbs and sidewalks with signs and balloons. And, you know, they were wishing her happy birthday because they couldn't go to a regular party. Uh, and uh, her mom had set up cupcakes like in this common area uh, where our uh, town center kind of is. And the kids could go and get, you know, the cupcakes. It, it just, it's surreal. Um, we lost a loved one in New Jersey about a week and a half ago. And uh, we could not give him a, uh, a proper funeral send-off because you can't have more than right. uh, 10 people. And so uh, this is happening to families all over in New York, certainly, which is the hardest hit, Connecticut, uh, New Jersey, and Louisiana. I could keep going down the road. Talk to me again. I'm going to keep going back to this. What is it like as a public official right now when you have constituents who will lose loved ones and won't be able to bury them and have funerals or when they're sick in the hospital, they can't even go see them and touch them because of the, the virus being so contagious. 
What's your message to us as an elected official about how do we cope with something like this? Like, we've never seen anything like this before. What, what do we do? You know, Sophia, I, when, I, when I ran from my elections, I promised people that I would always be vulnerable and honest. And yesterday, after work, because it's a very crazy time, you know, juggling both jobs right now. After work, I just sat in my chair and I genuinely cried because... As a public official, you always wonder, are you doing enough? Is there more that can be done? Are we thinking about everything? Are we putting ourselves in the shoes of the people that we're serving and doing as much to make sure that they're safe or they feel thought of or they understand that we're here for them? And that's very difficult. It's very tough because you're constantly asking yourself or asking the people around you, asking your staff, what else can I do? What else can I do? Where else can I turn? Are there ideas that haven't been thought of? Especially for me as a millennial, because I mean, when you think about a lot of uh, (laughs) the more seasoned generation, we pride ourselves on having those bright new ideas and being this refreshing voice and being this, you know, this thought leader that's going to bring about this new era of change. So for us, it's especially difficult because we wonder if there's more for everyone out there who is struggling during this time, such as myself and and just everyone around me, I would just say, don't lose hope. We've been through very, very difficult situations in the past. And I understand that they haven't looked anything like this, but we've always gotten through them. And I think now more than ever, we need to know and learn what it means to stick together and not allow something that's so, so serious and so traumatic and so scary to divide us. Now more than ever, we need each other and we need to reach across any aisle, reach across to your next door neighbor and make sure that you're saying, hey, are you doing okay? What can I help with? And I know that's gonna require us all to step up and put ourselves aside and put other people before us, but that's what we're gonna have to do to get through this. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, you know, you talked about this, we're in this together and we need each other more than now than ever. And of course, Governor Cuomo, I think has been fantastic in the briefings he gives every day. He's such an inspiration. Mm-hmm. and. You know, he's given us facts and the hard facts. New York's ground zero right now. And it's not the first time 9-11, which I remember well, a tough day that none of us who were alive then will ever forget. And it it, it reminds me of that spirit of uh, people, the nurses and the doctors and what they're sacrificing. Talk a little bit about your first responders and what you're doing in Maryland to make sure that they're getting the proper supplies. Uh, you know, their goggles, their masks, their uh, outerwear, Um, you know, just give us a sense of what you're doing to protect your first responders and talk a little bit about them because they're heroes. They absolutely are. And I think, honestly, having the insight of, you know, graduating from Howard University and studying healthcare and being a nursing major earlier on in school and, you know, doing those rotations in the hospital, you just people just don't understand what that looks like and what that means and when we ask people to stay home i think a lot of people you know look at may look at it and say ah they want to keep me locked up but it's not about that it's about being able to keep our first responders safe because you don't people don't understand that by you going out and just you know kind of being out there with this virus that you know can has the has the potential to go undetected you're putting not only yourself but everybody around you at jeopardy including our first responders and we all know in America as well as the world the turnover rate of, you know, from you graduating from nursing school to go ahead and take your your exam to then becoming a practicing BSN or whatever that looks like, it takes time. 
So we don't have a quick enough turnover rate where people are coming in to become new first responders for us to have that luxury of people not being conscious about everybody else around them. So I think that's one thing that we really need to keep in mind and a message that we really need to reinforce. Specifically in Bowie, we have taken a number of steps to make sure that all of our first responders have the necessary equipment and um, supplies that they need, especially our police force. That was one that we took very, very seriously because you don't want to have incidents where, you know, you have your your officers that are out here trying to protect the community and then, you know, being potentially exposed to this virus. That's a very serious thing. Although they're already risking their lives, you don't want to subject them to more. So we have taken all the necessary steps. They have all of the masks and all the equipment that they need in order to be safe, to really keep the community safe. As far as our hospitals out here, we have taken all the necessary steps and made sure that they have the equipment and also waiting for our shipments that are coming in from the White House. So we are very much so on top of that, our city staff has been phenomenal. We have been on the phone with our Prince George's County County Executive's office every week, as well as our you know state state of Maryland Governor Hogan's office, as well as um, uh, the White House has a call with state and local government officials that we sit on to make sure that we're asking the right questions and we're getting the right information to make sure that our cities are operating efficiently. So that's kind of the steps that we've been taking and making sure that we, 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 we can stay safe. I think Bowie was one of the first actual cities in the state of Maryland to declare a public health emergency. That was something that we did two weeks ago. And it really came out of really us asking, hey, are we really safe? Do we have the money or do we have the resources that we need to be able to keep our first responders safe? So that was a big push into why we declared that public health emergency so that people could understand how serious this actually was and we can get the resources to keep our first responders safe. You know, um, let me ask you about this because I think, Councilwoman, it really ties in to what you're saying uh, in terms of what cities are doing, what counties are doing, what uh, states are doing. And of course, the federal government, I think, is trying to coordinate it all and try to keep it all together, short of the president declaring martial law, which he would have to do to lock the country mm-hmm. down, truly. Um, what do you think the way forward is this? I mean, are we just at the beginning of this um, in places like where we are here in the D.C. metro? We probably have about, what, a thousand or so cases. We lost a school teacher here in Loudoun County on Friday. And um, we, uh, you know, our states combined have about a thousand. Do you think we're just seeing the beginning of this? We haven't hit the apex yet. What's What are you hearing as an elected official? Sophia, I actually think that we are just hitting the beginning of this, unfortunately. And I know that that sounds scary, but no, but, but we are. We haven't we haven't seen the impact that this that this virus is actually really going to leave. This is just the the beginning. We haven't even reached the tip of the iceberg. One thing that I can say, and this is my honest and wholehearted opinion, I do think that there needs to be a tighter alignment and a tighter communication between local state government and our federal government. I do think that that's something that needs to happen. When you think about people leading these decisions, remember, we've never seen anything like this before. And you mentioned that in the beginning of the podcast. We've never seen such such a thing like this before. So some of these people that are making the decisions or trying to lead the pathway forward, they have their own individual ideas, but you have a myriad of other state and local officials and elected 
people who have this who have similar and very smart ideas as well so i think now is a time where we need to learn how to formulate a better communication strategy amongst ourselves and also be more informed and include other people at the table that have different ideas that come from different backgrounds that might have potential ideas on how to push us forward i don't know that we've done a good job at doing that and that's just what i've seen particularly as a local elected official i think that our communities in the sense of our local elected officials who represent these communities are not always being brought into the fold so we sometimes don't know how we could fully help but however we are on the ground we are the first line you see what i'm saying we are the first line so yeah, we have ideas absolutely. and we're hearing it from the community and we see how it's in impacting the community directly and we could possibly contribute to how we could you know push forward during this time but i don't know that all of us are being brought to the table and that's something that kind of worries me so i'm going to say i'll be honest with you as I always am, I think this is just the beginning. I think that we are all trying to figure out a, a way forward, but I think that we do need to bring do a better job at bringing all of us to the table to figure this out together. Now is not the time to silo people out. Now is not the time to be an individual and have your own ideas. Now is the time where you come together and sit at the table together and figure out how we're going to get through this with all perspectives being included. Yeah, I couldn't agree with that more. And I think that, um, you know, when we talk about, I try to be, as a lawyer, I'm trained to be logical and to look at facts. That's what they train us. They drill that into our heads as young people in law school, that everything you do as an attorney has got to be based on the law and the facts. Right. You know, there's a place for emotion. Right. There's a place for empathy. There's a place for fairness. All those things matter. But I think for me, I've really been relying on Dr. Fauci, who's amazing and has been around since President Reagan. So he's got a lot of continuity and trustworthiness. Um, talk to me a little bit about leadership at this time. I, I taught a class yesterday at Christopher Newport University on called Intelligent Leadership and talking to young people about emotional intelligence. And at this moment, again, it strikes me that there are a lot of different styles yep. out there. You know, Governor Cuomo has one style. Governor Hogan has one style. Uh, President Trump has a style. Vice President Pence has a style. Uh, but the doctors are consistent. And I'd like to just get your thoughts on leadership at this moment, Roxy, because, you know, you get on Twitter and you see people attacking each other and fighting and, you know, uh, making this personal. I, I don't think that's appropriate at this moment. And I want to know what you think about leadership and just how leaders ought to be leading right now to help us get through this because this is emotionally stressful it's physically stressful it's relationally stressful it's professionally mm -hmm. stressful it's definitely financially stressful um talk to us a little bit about intelligent leadership and what what good leaders are going to step up and do at this moment to help the people get through this i think leadership is surrounded around selflessness and I don't know that every leader has learned that because sometimes when it comes to being in the public eye and people you know just going down this path I think a lot of people have different reasons for why they get involved and some of those reasons are not always selfless they're not always about other people sometimes they're about our interpersonal need for acceptance or things of that sort and so i think leadership is really the ability to be selfless i mean right now it's busier than ever this is the craziest i've ever seen things 
juggling yeah. between city when you have a city staff of 400 people you have a city manager that runs day-to-day operation leadership is about making sure that he is front and center he is able to make the necessary decisions that he needs mm-hmm. to make to protect the staff who are out here protecting the 68,000 residents of Bowie leadership is about during these busy times at Microsoft where we're working with the federal government and there's this massive shift Mm -hmm. to remote working, leadership is about making Mm -hmm. sure that your staff is better prepared to be in a position to help those federal government agency. And if that means that Mm -hmm. I need to sit on the phone with my staff at eight o'clock at night and give them the answers and position them so that they are successful to have the confidence within those federal government agencies that they're working with so that there's trust there for us all to be successful, that's what you have to do. So I think today some leaders lack the certain level of selflessness that they need because it's not about us right now. It's about everybody else that's emailing us, everybody else that's scared, everybody that's writing those negative tweets on Twitter. It's about them and making sure that you're in a position to protect them. Although that there is this discourse and there is this divide, it's about protecting them and putting them first and making sure that you're modeling the behavior in which you would like to see within the community and never forget getting that. I mean, we're humans, you and I, and I know that sometimes you scroll on Twitter just like I do and you see things and you want to respond, but you have to learn the discipline as a leader to be selfless and continuously model that behavior that you want to see. Because what am I, if I start to act like them, then what, what kind of leader does that make me? So I think that our leadership has got some challenging times ahead of them because of that, that selflessness. Yeah, I mean, if you can't, you know, it's funny, the difference between being a journalist and an opinion columnist like I am and and you being an elected official are Mm -hmm. are vast. You can't, to your point, uh, you might get a constituent that says something absolutely awful to you or which people do. They tweet terrible things. They threaten you. They threaten our lives. Uh, I don't think people really know what those of us who are in any form of public life are subject to now. It's actually really awful. And I have much more freedom than you do as a journalist and as a columnist to kind of say whatever I want to say. You can't do that. And even when I say what I want to say, I have to think about it because you're right that sometimes you see something and it offends your spirit. It offends your faith. And you're like, what is this person thinking saying something like that? And you want to go right in at them. And uh, it's not the time for that. The time now, particularly for those of you who are in elected office, whether it's federal, state, or local, and like you said, local, you're on the first line because you're going to hear about the school teacher or the railroad worker or the cafeteria worker or the business owner. You're going to get it first. Then it's going to go up to the member of Congress. Then it's going to, you know, and it's going to go from there. So I want to applaud you because I see the way you handle yourself. I see the way you are learning i think you're a good listener um you're young but you've got the wisdom of somebody that's you know much older which i think is going to serve you well um and i i just really wanted to have you on um today one because it's our saturday thoughts and i like to have somebody on or myself and kind of wrap the week ahead and i think you've given us a lot of good information particularly for those who live in the state of maryland and who will live in Bowie, uh, but also just for those of us in this region, because you're right, D.C., Maryland, and Virginia are kind of acting in concert, which is good. We also have the federal government in our back, our backyard, which makes us different probably from any other place in the country, right? Because 
a lot of people and places are going to lose jobs, but because we have the federal government, it keeps us running in a different way. Uh, but talk to us a little bit about, and we're going to wrap this uh, shortly, but talk to me a little bit about what do you want to say to your, to your constituents and to your fellow Americans who've been displaced? Uh, Roxy, 3.5 million people applied for unemployment insurance. That's the largest ever. Um, what do you say to those people that have lost jobs and are displaced or thinking about going somewhere else during this crisis? What do they do? Rox? Did we lose you? Roxy? Did you mute yourself? I think we may have lost our guests. Um, I'm not sure what happened because we're still connected, but I can no longer hear her. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to end the interview and we will have her back. Um, I wanted to wrap up a little bit with just a word that I know she'd want to say to her constituents and I apologize. Uh, we're all working remotely, so we must have had a disconnect somewhere uh, on the platform. I'm not sure what happened, but uh, we want to thank Councilwoman Roxy Ndebu Madu for coming on. Uh, she's amazing. She's a mentee. She's a friend. She reverse mentors me. I learned a lot from her. Uh, congrats on winning your seat in District 4. I know you're going to do a great job, and we will have her back.